If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Happy New Year and welcome back to another episode of the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. It is officially a new year. I'm sure we were all very okay with saying goodbye to 2020. So we officially made it and today's episode is in my opinion, probably one of the most important episodes that I will do, and let me tell you why. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, who is a Philadelphia-based licensed clinical psychologist in a private practice. She specializes in the treatment of adults with mood disorders, anxiety, relationship difficulties, and psychological symptoms associated with medical illness. She is a frequent speaker and media contributor of mental health topics to several online publications, TV, radio, and podcasts. And I'm going to tell you why today's episode is so important. Today we're talking about narcissism and toxic relationships. If you've listened to this episode if, to this podcast at all, you know that that's something that I experienced. And I don't believe it's talked about enough. We have come a long way in discussing narcissistic relationships verbally and emotionally abusive relationships. We've come a long way in the last 10 years. And I will say I got into my toxic and abusive relationship starting in 2009 and ended it in 2012. And I had no idea that it was so common. I had no idea what it entailed. From my perspective, I thought abusive relationships were just what I saw in movies where there was bruising and black eyes and it was just this physically abusive kind of a thing. I had no idea how common grooming and emotional abuse and verbal abuse and narcissism and all of those things that I ended up experiencing, I had no idea how common they were. And because of that, I felt so entirely alone, not only in the relationship, but also afterwards. 
And it wasn't until I started speaking up and telling loved ones about what happened to me and then, you know, speaking up a little bit more publicly when I started Breakup Bestie that I was finally able to see that I I was nowhere near alone. So just as a warning on this episode, we do talk about that. We talk about what are narcissists? What does a narcissistic relationship look like? What does a toxic relationship look like? In today's world, we throw around those terms a lot now, I feel like. And so I asked Dr. Z, what does the, what does it really look like? How can we tell if a relationship is narcissistic or toxic? We talk about healing from that. We talk about how to not repeat that pattern again because unfortunately that's something that we see a lot. So I get really personal in this episode. I share a lot about what my relationship looked like. I, you know, share about where the relationship took me and it took me to some really, really dark places. So I did want to put a little bit of a warning on that. But I will also say that even if you have not experienced a toxic relationship, give this a listen anyway. It is such an important topic because I think not only will it help you understand what it is, but it'll also help shed some light on if you ever have a friend that's in a narcissistic relationship or a family member. I can't tell you how many times, you know, we hear friends of people like that saying, why don't you just leave? And there's so many things that go into relationships like this. So just getting some context of the mental manipulation, the grooming that goes into these things, I think will help equip you to be a good listener and a good friend and be able to help someone in that kind of situation. So I feel so honored that Dr. Z came on the show today. And even though it has been, you know, eight years since I have seen or spoken to my narcissistic ex. And even though I have spent a lot of time learning about what these relationships are like and why I ended up in one of them, and I've gone through so much therapy and so much healing on it, I still learned so much from from talking to her. And I feel like I have an even better understanding of what it looked like. And the reason I think it's so important is because if I had heard this episode 10 years ago, I'm not sure if I would have gone through three years of trauma. I mentioned it in the episode, but I ended up Googling at one point, like, am I in in an abusive relationship? I just had no idea what it looked like. So this episode goes out to anyone that is in that kind of a relationship or will ever be like that in the future. This kind of awareness and you know, breaking the stigma of these kind of relationships is so important to me. It's a very important part of why I wanted to start Breakup Bestie. So please give it a listen and I hope you guys like it and learn as much as I did. Well, welcome Dr. Z to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. So happy to have you on today and talk about this topic. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to to talk about this and to answer your questions because I know that um, what you do and what you talk about has been super helpful for many people. So I'm thankful to be on. 
Oh, thank you. And can you start by telling a little bit about yourself, what you do? If you guys, if you're not already following her on Instagram, I'll have it in the show notes. You have to, she posts, you post the most amazing things. So um, yeah, if you could just say a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I practice right outside Philadelphia. I have a private practice and I see adults 18 and older. Primarily, you know, um, all anxiety disorders, mood disorders, uh, and a lot of relationship patterns and dynamics that, you know, somebody will come into my office and say that they're stuck in this relationship and they don't know what to do and, or how to get out or how to stay in it. And so we, um, I, I break down their, their patterns, break down their history of patterns. Um, and really work on on changing that and shifting gears and developing some insight. So the other thing I do is I have a small specialty in clinical health psychology. So I work with people who have chronic and physical, medical, long-term illnesses, um, particularly neurological issues. I used to work in a neurology practice. So I kind of developed this specialty for patients with epilepsy, MS, and things like that. So, and also just for the simple reason that majority of people I see with depression and anxiety, most often have some sort of comorbid medical condition that's usually enhanced by stress because we can't really separate the two. So. Wow. That's so interesting. And, and, you know, that's something I've learned more in, in recent years is just the connection between mental health and and physical health. And I like look back to, you know, we'll dive into it, but like into my abusive relationship, I Mm -hmm. went to, I had the craziest stomach issues and I went to, I I was just going to say IBS, migraines, joint pain, autoimmune studies, all of it. Yeah. So I remember I went to a gastroenterologist and he basically said that my stomach looked like someone who'd been drinking for 10 years. Cause it was just so mm-hmm. inflamed and cause I was yep. so stressed yep. and, and just from it. being in that. So that's such an interesting mm-hmm. connection that you're able to help with, with both. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about toxic relationships today and it's such a buzzword you know, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, I think it probably goes right. to both sides where there's a lot more of an awareness of what that looks like. But I I wanted to start off by asking you, you know, this phrase, a toxic relationship is thrown around so much these mm-hmm. days. Can you describe like what a toxic relationship is? And even further would love for you to clarify the difference between a narcissist. And I think yes. you mentioned it on your stories. Like what's the difference between a narcissist and just an asshole? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Best question I ever got from a follower. How do you yeah. know if you're dating a narcissist or he's just an asshole? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, sure. So toxic relationships is, is, is a, as you said, it's a very thrown around term and it's going to mean something different to everybody. Um, because the patterns that each couple have ha- has it, are are unique to that relationship and unique to that dynamic. So what's toxic for me in a relationship may not be the same as what's toxic for you because each person's bringing to the relationship their baggage, and we all have baggage. So we each get to this relationship, and if our baggage doesn't connect or even out or neutralize, then toxicity can start to arise. But generally speaking, a toxic relationship is one where um, 
both people are routinely unsettled in the relationship, don't feel heard, don't feel respected. Um, when there's fear of the other person, fear of voicing your concerns, fear of voicing your opinions, um, being made to feel like you have low self-worth. So basically a relationship that does not enhance your life, I would consider a toxic relationship. Now that doesn't mean it's not workable and there's obviously different levels of toxic relationships. Um, but even the most, you know, the most benign form of toxicity, it's still so relevant to the person and it, it, it's just all relative. So just because you think your toxic relationship isn't as bad as your best friend's toxic relationship, it doesn't mean that it's not toxic for you. So that's the point I definitely want to get across. But really, if the relationship doesn't enhance your life in any way, it's toxic to it. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And it's, you know, I remember being in my relationship and literally going on Google and asking like, is my relationship toxic? Yeah. And it's, yeah. it was hard to find information because it was, you know, so, and you know, being in it, I couldn't see yeah. it Correct. as it was, yeah. but yeah, I remember literally like Googling it and trying to diagnose it mm -hmm. from the internet. And I really mm -hmm. couldn't figure it out because it is so, it's just so different for everyone. It's so different. And you were probably trying to find some similarities. So you can kind of hang your hat on and say, okay, oh, this is what I'm dealing with. But as you know, in toxic relationships, especially with someone very unhealthy and toxic, the, it shifts so fast that before you think one thing's toxic, the next thing it's done with and it's over with. And then all of a sudden there's something else. And so you can't even really pinpoint what is toxic, but rather it's the whole relationship itself, the whole pattern of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm, I was going to, I'm going to ask you about this later on, but you know, mm -hmm. there's so much that goes into it with grooming and, you know, like, I find most toxic relationships start off amazing, amazing. like amazing. amazing. Yeah. Right. And so you're like completely swept yep. off your feet and then all of too a sudden good to be true. too good to be true. And then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. and I, I can specifically remember yep. the day mine yep. switched. It yep. was, it was just like, it was yes. one moment and it never got better. It like never returned back. Yes. And that's the characteristic of, of again, I'm, when you want me to, I'll go into it, but the difference between someone who has narcissistic traits, someone who's an asshole versus someone who has narcissistic personality disorder, that flip of a switch and never returning to that false baseline, that is characteristic of a narcissistic personality disorder because that initial love bombing stage, we call it, right? That initial stage of grooming is not them. That is a strategy that they're using. They're faking it till they get you in and then the real them shows. And what happens is the person in the relationship keeps trying so hard to get the person back to how they used to be. What they don't understand is that's not who they ever were. It was like they put on a brown wig, took it off and say, really, I have blonde hair. And you're like, but please, I want you to go back to brown hair again. It just, it, it never was. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent. And it makes sense because, you know, I was in that relationship for, for three years. So it's not like he was just having a bad day for two no. and a half of them. You know, right. it was like, he was really putting <laughs> on an act for yeah. six months and then right. went into this other yeah. person. And I was, you know, I stuck around to try to get back to, to those six yeah, months. And, um, but yeah, it becomes almost an addiction. It was an addiction, a hundred percent. It was an addiction. And I, you know, I also 
am a recovering addict alcoholic. So I can see it mm-hmm. so clearly now, mm-hmm. like the rationalization, mm-hmm. the, yeah. you know, doing ev- like trying to make it anyone else's fault, yeah. except my fault. own, like even my own, which, like, isola- I- which isolates you. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. So could you kind of get into, you know, what, what are some of the characteristics of, of that, of the narcissist? Mm-hmm. So I like to look at narcissism on a continuum. So on one end, you have extremely dependent. And on the other end, you have narcissistic personality disorder. And this is why a lot of times someone with narcissistic personality disorder tends to gravitate towards someone who's extremely dependent, because that dependent person is very okay with putting their needs second and taking care of this narcissist. And the narcissist loves that. Um, But the danger with that is that eventually by doing that in that pattern, that dependent person will slowly start to feel like their sense of self is just not even existent. They're just a shell. And so that dynamic is probably, I would say, this is not research-based, but just anecdotally and from what I see in people that I've worked with, that is the most toxic dynamic and the hardest one to work through, the dependent personality disorder style and the narcissistic personality style. Um, so, so anyway, so narcissism, I look at it a continuum. Every single one of us has narcissistic traits. All of us do. Um, people that are CEOs of companies, people that um, are, you know, um, anyone who's in, who, anyone who's running for president of the United States, they all have narcissistic features, right? Like um, people that are in charge of, 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 of companies or have their own brands, you know, you have to have some level of narcissistic traits to be able to get to that successful place. You just do. Um, and it's not a bad thing because you're using those narcissistic traits for healthy purposes. They motivate you. They give you a little bit of an edge. Um, But the difference is, is that when you're home with your children and those narcissistic traits are no longer necessary, you're able to shift them back into, let's say, parent mode. Whereas somebody with narcissistic personality disorder, there is no shifting of anything. And if they are shifting it, it's manipulative. So people Mm. that have narcissistic traits those traits come out in different areas as needed. And that is healthy, it's balanced, it's appropriate. And then as you go down further, you gain not only more narcissistic traits more frequently, but also lack of insight. So as you go down to dependency, lack of insight. As you move towards the middle, appropriate insight. And then towards the end, narcissistic personality sort of absolutely zero insight. Um, and somebody who says, you know, is, is he just an asshole or is he a narcissist? My question to them is always, is the asshole behavior that you're talking about because he cheated on you or because he lied to you? Does he have difficult relationships with everybody in his life? Or was this kind of isolated just to your relationship? And if it was isolated just to the relationship, then you know what, then it just wasn't the right relationship. He didn't know how to handle it. He made a stupid mistake. He's an asshole for doing it but it doesn't define his personality style. And, and sometimes it's hard to obviously deal with. You'd almost would rather than be like that to everybody. Um, but sometimes people have this tendency, and I understand why, to just label somebody as a narcissist because they, they have issues with infidelity. Yeah. It's not the same thing. Um, they could have bipolar disorder, they could be depressed, or they could just not be into the relationship. There's a million different reasons. Narcissistic personality disorder, 
is zero awareness of just how serious the impact and the consequences of their behaviors are, zero remorse, zero willingness to change. And people say, well, can't they change? No, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm making a blanket statement. Someone with narcissistic personality disorder will never, ever, ever change, ever. So unless you're willing to stay in the relationship and figure out how to live with that, that's fine. But to wait for them or expect them to change, it will never happen. And if they act as if they're changing, it's a show because they, they need something from you in that moment. You only exist to them as much as they need you for a certain purpose. If they feel you're leaving, they will manipulate you back in. They will make you feel so empty. Can, they will confuse you so much on your reality that you don't even know, are you wrong? Are you right? Did that really happen? Well, maybe I am crazy. And you're asking your friends, but your friends are sick of it because they've kind of mastered this plan to isolate you from your friends. So you have no one to go to. And when you finally get out of the relationship, you you know, women that I see, they, they feel like a shell. They don't even know what their favorite color is anymore. So there is a big difference between somebody being an asshole, somebody being a really relentless CEO of a company, and someone having narcissistic personality disorder. There's a big difference. Um, they will not change. There is a distinct period where that switch goes off. And the biggest thing to differentiate between someone just being having narcissistic tendencies or being an asshole, someone with the personality disorder will be that way all the time with everyone around them, not just their significant other. That makes, that makes so much sense. And I wanted to ask, so, okay, so they're, they will not change. Are they capable of having an awareness of how, of what they're doing? Yeah. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. They know what they, what the, the awareness of is that they don't, they don't have awareness as to why they are narcissists. Because in order to understand why you're a narcissist, you have to admit to your vulnerability and your flaws, which a narcissist is, will not do, which is why they develop that exterior. So it would mean that this narcissist would have to become so vulnerable and let down their guard and all their defenses and then work their way back up. And it, 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 the way that the personality disorder is set up, it, it blocks that from happening it just it, it would never happen um and I know I get you know some criticism for saying that a lot of psychologists do because it's usually coming from people who, who are in relationships with narcissists because it really kind of relieves takes away that hope um but I'm I'm really saying it because it's 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 true and um maybe not now but maybe down the road it sinks into somebody and somebody can 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 take something from it yeah yeah. And I, it's interesting. I've, I've, it's the last week I've been getting so many questions on what I think about soulmates and twin flames and that whole concept. And I'm, and I'm like, you know what? I, I don't believe in that. And what I do believe is that the only time I've ever used that word is when I was in a toxic relationship because Correct. it just yes. allowed me to excuse every yes. bad behavior. Thank you. Yes. So yes, for those listening, that is probably one of the most important red flags. If you are discussing soulmates, at any point in a relationship, 
I'd say from like the first six months, six to eight months, if the word soulmate comes up at all, that is a massive red flag. If you're talking about how your kids will look, what type of house you're going to buy, all that future promising, it's called future faking, all these things that are going on initially, they may feel so good. And they may make you feel like you are so loved and you found the one and they oddly agree with you on everything. They have all the same interests as you. Um, they like the same food as you. And it just seems too good to be true. And again, this is not to be pessimistic, but that's just not how relationships work. And it's hard because you really want to feel that fairy tale feeling. But soulmate is unfortunately, you know, I think you can feel really connected to somebody, but I also think you can feel really connected to a lot of people as you should, because you should never just have one person that you put all your eggs in one basket. And I don't even mean intimate. I just mean your self-worth, your sense of self. It should be divided across many people, not just one. And if you find that it's just one, chances are that's a toxic relationship because the other person wouldn't want that for you either. Yeah. Exactly. If my husband was solely dependent on me, like I, I would want, spread it out. You know, I have friends I talk to about this. I have, you know, I, I have friends I talk to about this. I, you don't want to put it all in one thing. And if you do, and the other person thinks that's normal too, you end up isolating yourself slowly without realizing it from friends and family. It's like a bar that goes up every so often. And before you know it, two years later, you're in this cage and you, you can't go anywhere. Yep. That's exact. I mean, that's a hundred percent what happened to me. I literally lost. I mean, I had, he had me change my phone number, mm -hmm. delete my social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, I literally like, I had friends, I had best friends. I didn't yeah. give any, I just jumped off the face of the earth to them. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was because he wanted us to be a team. Yeah, he you told, and him against the world. Exactly. He yep. told me that um, it's not, and he, and I, in my case also, we had a large age gap. I was really young and I had never really been in a serious relationship. So I took everything he said to be fact because I'm like, I'm young. I don't know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. And he told me but like- that it's was not, probably part of it. That was part it's of It's not it. appropriate to talk to other people about your relationship. Wow. So I'm like, okay, you okay. just never, okay. You just never, you never talk to them about it. So I walked around as a shell full of secrets and shame and yes. all that stuff. So it's, um, and that kind of leads me to my next question. So you touched on it a little bit, but you know, being in that situation, like that feeling of constantly walking on eggshells, you talked a little bit about like disconnected from reality. What happens to a person when they're in that for an extended period of time? To the, to the, to the person with the personality disorder or their partner, their partner. So like, you know, yeah. messes with reality, yeah. anxiety. Um, so typically when somebody gets in a relationship like that with somebody, again, there's, there's a, there's, there's a decent amount of dependency and codependency in that person to be able to withstand that type of relationship. You know why the person doesn't say like F you within the first three weeks when they, or three months, you know, why they don't leave that. So there's, there's, there's something in that person that the narcissist is drawn to and it's not coincidence, right? Like it wasn't coincidence that you were younger, that you didn't understand relationships and that that's not coincidence, right? So per, the person then starts to feel 
like it's their fault, like they should have seen this. And now they're in this and they don't know exactly what's wrong with it because the other person is so good at manipulating that the, the, the significant other doesn't have faith or trust in their own perceptions of what is going on. They, they feel crazy, you know, and then if they call the person out on it, the, the narcissist will go into this tirade of word salad and you, you don't even know, they make you so confused that it's so exhausting that you just kind of come out of it feeling crazy. And because your self-esteem is already so low, then you just start to play the role of the crazy girlfriend when you're not. Um, and that prevents you from speaking your mind because you don't want to be viewed as crazy. So you end up holding everything in because you're trying to maintain the peace in the relationship, but of a toxic relationship. So it's not peace, it's manipulative. The walking on eggshells means, you know, the reason why it's so, so difficult is if you think about gambling and you think about drugs and alcohol, um, promiscuous sex, all those types of addictive behaviors, they're based on what's called an intermittent reinforcement schedule. And all that is, is a fancy behavioral word that says, you never know what you're going to get. So you keep going, keep going, because there's no consistent reinforcement schedule. So if I said to you, I'm going to pay you every two weeks, how much anxiety would you have about getting your paycheck? None. If I said to you, I'm not going to, I'm only going to pay you when I feel like it. And not only that, I'm not going to tell you what you need to produce or perform in order to get your paycheck. Then you're going to have a ton of anxiety because you don't know. And just when you think you've figured it out and you get paid for making 20 sneakers, let's say, but then next week you make 20 and I don't pay you. Well, like what? So it's crazy making. So that is the type of reinforcement schedule that walking on eggshells is. You never know what you're going to get. So you're constantly just on edge. And from a psychological standpoint, not only does it cause a tremendous amount of anxiety and fear and depression, obviously, but it really puts you at risk for PTSD because you're so, when people don't know what to expect, if you think about children in abusive relationships, they never know what they're going to get. And the only way a child, the only strategy really a child has in that situation is to completely shut down or to become so hyper vigilant and hyper aware of their surroundings so that they're always ready for something. Take that and translate that into adulthood. That's PTSD. So there's a lot of, um, you know, acute stress response, post-traumatic stress response. Um, and it may not be full PTSD, PTSD but it, it's definitely common. And the reason is because you're so hyper vigilant to is, did he smile like a big smile? Was, was it a little smile? D did he just, did, is he, is he, did he slept this morning? So does that mean he's going to be in a better mood today? I mean, all these things to try to gain control of how he's going to act. Um, and that's that hypervigilance, hyper-awareness. Um, so it does a significant amount of damage and it does a lot of long-term damage. It's not just isolated to the relationship. It's going to affect your future relationships unless you, you work through it. Yeah. I don't know why, when you were talking about that, I brought, I was brought to a, I don't know why a Taylor Swift song, but there's a line in one of her songs that says like, I was a, a pawn in your chess game and you changed the rules every yes, day. And I was, exa that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly and I right. remember when I heard that song, I was like, 
yeah, yep. she's talking That's about exactly like right. that kind of a relationship. And mm-hmm. I remember when I had, you know, my first therapist tell me, like, I think you have some PTSD from this, from yep. this relationship, because it was, it was like, am I going to get the nice person? And I'm, am I like, there were a couple times where I was caught looking at someone in a restaurant, a male in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And it was like mm-hmm. world war three, mm-hmm. like, yes. and so I'm like walking around, like trying not to look at Correct. other people and something was fine one yeah. day and then it was not yeah. okay. So it's- And um, you'll realize that as you do that, you're, it's called behavior repertoire. Like at your behaviors, your life, your world starts to shrink the more you try to accommodate their irrational patterns. And as your world shrinks, your anxiety or depression, risk for PTSD goes high. So it had nothing to do with you looking at another guy. It has to do with them doing whatever they can to make your world so small so that they can take it and put it in their pocket and do what they want with it. So a lot of, I tell a lot of women, especially, and men too, don't pay so much attention to what they say they're doing. Look at the underlying function of why they're doing what they're doing. Ignore their words and look at the function of it. What are they trying to do in this situation? That makes so much sense. And, and I feel so lucky for all the therapy I have been through, but Mm -hmm. because I can even look at it now, I'm, you know, happily married. There are certain things my husband will do. And it like, I like get short of breath and I'm like, Oh my, what is this? And I'm so lucky to be in a relationship where I can, I can voice that and say, Hey, this isn't about you. This is like came up in my last relationship, but it's because I have been able to, you know, really look into that. And, um, and I, I did want to ask you like, what, I mean, what does the process look like of healing someone from that? And I, you know, I'm going to plug therapy right now because anytime someone approaches me with that, I'm like, it's, it's deep. Like you, you have to get help. So first things, congratulations to you, honestly, because I, I, for people that are still in these relationships, know that it's really, really difficult. And I think it's very beneficial that you do what you do because it, you know, you get so sucked into it. You think no one else is going through this. And so it's very helpful to have somebody on the other side who's gone through it. Um, and they can look at you and say like, okay, she did this. I can do this. So you give people a lot of hope. And I know at least for my followers who I've had follow you, um, I know they felt that way. So I really just wanted to say thank you for what you're doing because you're helping a significant amount of people. Um, and the other thing you said that was really important that I think is part of therapy, but something that I do with all my patients, regardless of, of something like this or not, when your reaction to a situation is larger than the context that you're in, typically means you're responding to something else, not the situation that you're in. So you're kind of bringing your emotions and your thoughts from a prior experience into this. So, you know, if my son comes in and says, you know, mommy, can you get me juice? I'm just making this up. And let's say, which is a totally benign situation, but let's say I had been in a relationship, a really abusive relationship. And every time he asked me to get him a drink, I knew what that started to mean. He was going to start drinking all day. And then it was, so I could, when my son walks in and say that to me, I could kind of like either get really frazzled or yell at him or do something when I'm responding that way to a very benign situation, but yet it's 
because it's triggering something from before. So you have to be very aware of your emotional responses in current situations and make sure that they're not um, disproportionate because you're responding to something else. I yeah, I heard very this, important that you said that. I heard this saying once, and I don't even know if this is probably not like the correct term to use anymore, but mm-hmm. someone said, if it's hysterical, it's historical. Yeah, um, I love that. Yeah, which I'm like, I don't know if hysterical is the right word down. to use anymore. No, it, but right, I, it, right. Yeah, but um, well, but I always it's remember hysterical, it's if it's historical. hysterical, it's historical. Yeah, I love that. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so you asked what what can people do? What kind of help they? So therapy. I I agree with you. Yeah. You cannot in any way, shape, or form do this alone, for the simple reason that you're so in the toxic dynamic that you can't come up with strategies to get out of it by using the toxic system that you're in. Right. So it's like people try to find solutions, but the solutions they're finding are inside the toxic relationship. So it, it, they're they're not healthy solutions. You need somebody to be objective to it, to be able to pull you outside of it and be able to get you to look at it objectively as if you're watching your relationship on a movie screen and you're in the audience. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, so therapy, I 
highly recommend somebody who is either a behavior therapist or somebody who is acceptance and commitment therapy therapist. I think sometimes the danger with this is you want to make sure you don't do simply talk therapy because what happens with that is you just kind of reiterate, and it's great for some things, not for this. You end up just rehashing and rehashing, rehashing with no actual behavioral um, steps to take into practice. So it's good for certain things, not, not for this. This involves a lot of behavior and pattern change. So therapy for one. The other is you're going to want to slowly reintegrate yourself into society. Start with the people that you feel least vulnerable with. Start with the easy people. Start with the people who love you unconditionally, who will take you back with open arms. And the ones that are a little harder, you'll do over time. Um, and you may also find out as you get healthier that your friendships that you had were similar to the relationship that you had. And as you start to sh shift gears, you may find that that dependent person that you are, now that you're stronger, maybe your old friends were so used to you being the punching bag and so used to you being the one to take on all their problems that they could dump and unload on you. And now you're not that person anymore. So now those friendships may not work. So there's a lot of things that happen when people start to change their patterns, which is why therapy is so essential. You absolutely cannot do this alone. This is also something that medication does not fix. Medication doesn't fix patterns. Yeah. What medication does is take the edge off and take the anxiety, like tune it down a little bit so that you can retain the information you have in therapy so that you can get out of bed and go to therapy. But medication doesn't change patterns. Yeah. Chances are you are the way you are because you're modeling behaviors you saw growing up, you're modeling relationships you saw growing up, or you're doing the opposite of that modeling to the other extreme, which would be unhealthy. So maybe you were raised by a narcissist and you learned that, you know, the only way to get your needs met was to meet their needs. So you repeat what you know, right? Um, or a narcissist could grow up being told they're worthless, they're no good, they feel like crap, and then that's how they compensate for it. So it's called a compensatory narcissist. So there's just there's so much and so many layers to this. It's not a quick fix. You will be in therapy for a very long time and you have to commit to doing the hard work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree so much. And I, I mean, I, I still go to therapy. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I actually, think everybody went, should go to therapy. A hundred percent. I, <laughs> it's so important. And even like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm in a 12 step program. So mm -hmm. I have, I have a sponsor that I work with and yes. it's like, it's just not, it's not the same. Um, especially right, right. I went through pretty heavy duty EMDR trauma therapy, mm -hmm. which was mm -hmm, mm -hmm. life, life changing yep. for yes, me. Yes. Um, and just I really forgot EMDR for trauma too. Yes. EM, EMDR. Yes. is very, very, very helpful still for, for PTSD for sure. It like helped me like file it away. Yeah. And it keeps you present without it kind of consuming you. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I also loved what you said about reintegrating with easy people first. Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize, mm -hmm. I didn't do this consciously, but I'm so grateful. I had certain friends that I completely lost touch with. Mm -hmm. I called them afterwards. I got over, I went over to their house and all they said was, we missed you. They didn't say- yeah. They did not give me any hard time about Correct. being in it or where have you Correct. been? Why did you they do this? They were probably so relieved. They just were like, they were like, we missed you so much. Like, yes. let's have, you know, let's Correct. like play a game or it was just, it, mm -hmm. it, I, I didn't, I felt, cause I felt so 
shameful about it at first. And I think the process for me that I had to go through was at first I completely disassociated from it and just distracted Mm -hmm. and kind of Mm -hmm. just tried to go back to normal life. Mm -hmm. And then I got angry and then I got angry and then I was able Mm -hmm. to see it. And, and then I was able to look at it in a way of like, I can see why I attract, why I attracted this. Yeah, like, exactly. I, I and was that's a, the pattern work. Yeah. So it, it, it had to happen um, in, in steps for sure. Mm-hmm. And I'd love for you to touch on um, like the reality warping. I don't know what it's, I, you used a term when we talked earlier about like how it feels like just a total, you know, for lack of a better word, mind fuck to get out yeah. of a relationship like that yeah. where you're like, yeah, phase up. Um, yeah. And it, a while to like get back in in touch with that um and is that just because they you know utilize gaslighting and they they make you feel crazy so yeah so the so the so the crazy making aspect of this um there is again it's not coincidence that narcissistic personality disorder gravitates towards people who have dependency issues who rely on other people to make them feel whole, who feel that they only exist and their sense of purpose only exists to the degree to which they take care of other people. So their view of themselves is largely contingent on how others view them, their opinions of them, what they can do for them. And they really already aren't sure of who they are. They're kind of whoever that person needs them to be. And that is something that a narcissist will smell out from like a million miles away. Um, And they play into that role. They, they, you know, in the beginning when that love bombing stage comes in and all the future faking and all that. Um, But what ends up happening is because they make this situation so confusing because it's so built on that intermittent reinforcement schedule, because you never know what you're going to get. Now you have someone with already low self-esteem who has no idea what's going on because remember, they're used to their self-worth being defined by other people and the degree to which they can help them. The narcissist knows that. So here you make them dinner, steak, let's say, and the narcissist loves it, eats it, says, this is great. Thank you so much. Two days later, she makes steak again because she wants to please him. She same steak, same temperature, same what wellness, all that stuff. Eats it, says it tastes like shit, throws it against the wall. You suck, you're a horrible cook. And so, and what that does is it solidifies that dependency of that person on them even more because remember their self-worth is contingent on them. So it's like, it's like, again, it's like a drug or gambling. It's like, you got it on this day, but you didn't get it on this day. So I'm going to hang in there again until I can get that high again. Um, and it really locks them into it. So not only does that happen, but there's a tendency because you feel so knocked down and so low and you've been told for so long that your opinions are wrong and that you're not smart or your opinions don't matter. No one cares about your opinion. You naturally are going to take on the opinions and the viewpoints of the other person because that's all you have access to. Yeah. And it's almost like a cult-like brainwashing thing that goes on and I guarantee you yeah. if you looked at brain like if the MRIs of somebody you know who's been brainwashed versus somebody who's been in a narcissistic relationship or looked at personality traits they're they're probably pretty identical um and 
because the person feels so crappy about themselves, they're happy to hand over the responsibility of themselves to somebody they think will handle it better. And that's the misconception that people have. Um, So you doubt your reality. You doubt that you're a good person because if I'm a good person, why is this person so angry with me? You lose touch with your likes, your interests, your, you, your, your identity. I mean, women will say to me, I literally don't even know what music I like anymore. I don't know who I am. Yeah. And so it's very scary to have to rebuild that, but that that's what happens. It, it truly sucks your soul. It sucks your identity and you don't realize it until it's too late because people that try to stop it, they're your enemy because you've been taught to think, oh, your friend Kate, I don't really like her. She, I can't trust her. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about her I don't like. Yep. Oh my gosh. And or I, I don't like their husband. I don't want to hang out with them. Yeah. I'm, oh man, I had so much of that. And I'm so, I give my parents so much credit because they did not try to, they didn't try to attack it when all of my siblings, like my, my older brother used to, I found this out later, used to ask my dad every week, like, when can I beat the shit out of this guy? And my dad's like, she's going to figure it out. Like she, she will figure it out. So they knew he wasn't a nice guy. They just didn't want to intervene. And you probably would have dug your heels in and ends up hating them for it. Exactly. So at least they knew that much. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, um, the other thing that you were, oh, I, I mean, so I look back, so I met my narcissistic ex when I was a client at Jenny Craig, the like diet company. And he was my coach, like talk about like walking Power into it, yep. showing how yep. insecure I am. Yes. Uh-huh. So I'm like, yep. wow. wow. That was, yeah. Yeah. So That's it was probably like as good of as an example as I've ever heard. Yeah. I mean, and I didn't, yeah. yeah. And looking back now, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I was yeah. just like, hello, I'm very yeah. insecure. I need Correct. someone to help me and, and all Correct. that. And, and what you were talking about too, with like the subtle changes. And <clears throat> this is why I think a lot of people are like, well, why don't you just leave? Like, it's clearly bad, mm-hmm. but it's like, there's so much, mm-hmm. you know, the, the concept of grooming, it's like all of a yep. sudden it was, um, I want to take you to like this, like my favorite restaurant and like, mm-hmm. I'll get your, di- like all, you know, I'll order for you. Like, cause I, mm-hmm. and it's like, Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, it's so know, romantic. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah, taking, they're, charge. Like, taking, they're <laughs> taking charge. Yes. And then it was like, Oh, you know, I really like this outfit on you all of a sudden turned into anytime I went shopping, I sent him pictures of yes. what I was thinking of getting and he made the decisions yes. and yes. it was, you know, Oh, and then it started getting like, Oh, like, yeah, the, the, my ex, like all my ex-girlfriends were blonde or something like that. And then all of a sudden I was blonde and like, it's just, it was so wild. Mm -hmm. It was like Mm -hmm. this, you lose yourself, completely lost myself. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what my favorite color is or what my favorite music was when I came out. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I have a, I have a story I post occasionally. It's in my highlight section as to why people don't leave these relationships. If you're that bad, why can't you leave? And there's a couple of reasons. One, sometimes it's abusive and physically abusive, and it's not that easy to get out because of safety reasons. Two, if there's children involved, it becomes 
so much more difficult. And so you have to be very careful how you go about that. And the third thing is that like you were talking about, it's like being left-handed your entire life. And then all of a sudden being made to think that you're right-handed, even though you're not good at it. But if you work on it enough, then you can use your right hand to the point where now you even forget that you were even left-handed. And if you go to right with your left hand, it doesn't work anymore. It's like, it's that ingrained and that embedded that it becomes, you don't even realize you have options. Like mm-hmm. it's, it, people don't even realize like you, you can leave because they, it, it's not even in, in their awareness. And so when people say, well, he's such an asshole, why can't you leave? You know, you can't expect them to understand that. And people need to kind of res- respect that, that other people are not going to understand it if they haven't been through it. Yeah. You're basically in your eyes, leaving the only person who is able to hold you up in this world. Yeah. And that you will not make it if you leave them. It's that scary. And yeah. so people who do leave like yourself, I mean, I say this all the time, somebody who has left somebody with a true narcissistic personality disorder and who left is probably one of the strongest, like the strongest people that I have ever met ever. I mean, it's, it's, it's unlike anything I have ever seen. Yep. Yeah. And what it's honestly, what finally got me to leave is I was in the middle of like the height of my alcoholism was on a family vacation, got blackout drunk. Did you start your drinking after you met him? Before. Before. Okay. So I will say the one thing I can look at, he was very controlling with my drinking to the point where Mm -hmm. like, he'd be like, we'll go to this party. You can have two drinks. And like, if he saw me go for a third, he would call me out in front of everyone. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was actually a blessing because I I do think he kind of helped keep that in in control for me. But um, in his weird, weird way. Um, But I got so drunk that I told my siblings everything. Like I told them everything because there was a couple incidences where I did self-harm when he threatened to break up with me. Uh Uh, That happened two different times. So I had because you truly believe that you won't make it if they do. That he was just in control of any everything anyway. So it's like, I don't even have a say in this anyway. And a lot of times when people, I mean, I'm so happy that you didn't do that. A lot yeah. of times when people go to that place of self-harm or cutting or just or thinking about killing themselves, the reason why they do that, and same with eating disorders, same with drinking, it's the one thing you can control that they can. Yeah. You yeah. know, you can control whether you harm yourself or not. You know, yeah. so even though it's maybe not that you wanted to end your life or you wanted no. to, it was just something that you was yours that no one could t- take from you. And that's how trapped you were, that the only thing you had control over was your, was life or death. Yeah. Yeah. And it was finally mm-hmm. like, after saying that out loud and just realizing like, I'm just not someone that's done that. Like I was such a happy, right. like such a happy right. kid, all of these things. And finally, it was the first time I had said anything that happened out loud and I heard it come out of my mouth and I was like, Oh, this has to be done. Like Uh this just has to be done. And that's what I, that's one thing that I tell people, you know, I'm, and you said that to your siblings. I said that to my siblings and they didn't rush me because it took me like six more months to actually walk away. And they just kind of like, like my brother let me move in with him afterwards. And, Mm -hmm. um, but what I tell people is like, it's so important to, 
to tell people what happened when you're ready. And And maybe even like a little bit before you're ready. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because everyone knows someone that's been through it. It's like alcoholism, like there's such a stigma, but now it's like everyone knows Mm -hmm. someone who's in that. So, um, and also just like, I think the more people know, like the more I said it out loud, the more I knew I wouldn't go back. Mm -hmm. And more importantly too, when you say it out loud to people who are in your support network and they don't run and they don't not believe you and they, they help you, you, that, that shame starts to dissipate because you're realizing that 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 sharing behavior that you're doing is being reinforced in a healthy way. So you're more likely to do it again because they're helping remove that shame and that guilt. They're not they're not bashing it. They're not making you feel bad or worse for having those feelings. So that's really important to find people who will help you with that so that that shame can can decrease and that secrecy and, and all of that. Cause that's a, that's a load to carry. Do you think people that hang on to the shame and the guilt are more likely to repeat the pattern? Yeah. Yes, I'm shaking my head. Like, yes, yes I, I do. <laughs> I do only because the best way to avoid feeling shame and feeling guilt is to engage in something I shouldn't say that. The, the a lot of people who aren't willing to sit with the shame and the discomfort and work through that, they do things to avoid it. And we tend to repeat what we know and what's familiar. And one of the things that had always taken away their shame and their guilt was to kind of focus on somebody else, right? Take care of somebody else so they don't have to focus on themselves. And so, you know, they will seek out somebody yet again to take care of that maybe isn't severe as a narcissist or or maybe not, but they're they're still going to seek out somebody to take care of, to give them a sense of purpose, to not have to feel that shame and that guilt. And anytime you, anytime you engage in a behavior with the purpose of it to avoid internal discomfort rather than sitting with it, 99% of the time, whatever that behavior is, is actually escalating those feelings you're trying to get rid of. Interesting. Wow. It's so interesting. I f- honestly feel like I could talk to you for forever. Um, when, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would love you to tell everyone where they can find you and would love yeah. to have you on again because I feel like you yeah, are absolutely. just such a wealth of knowledge. Um, oh, so yeah, so where can you. people find you, follow you? Sure. So I'm on Instagram and it is um, dr. Period Z underscore psychologist. Uh, and then my website is um, D-R-J-A-I-M-E-Z-U-C-K-E-R-M-A-N. Um, and Facebook, um, Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. I'd say Instagram, probably the best place to find me. That's where I post the most things. I yeah. have um, in my highlight section, a lot of stuff on relationships and narcissism. So happy to answer any questions. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll put um, all of your information and links in in the show notes as well. But thank you so much for for coming on. I will say even just talking to you now, I honestly have a better understanding of what happened and what what that looks like even after all the years of therapy that mm-hmm. that I've been through. Mm-hmm. So um, and again, want to give another plug to therapy, like whether you, yes. you know, you know, reach out to, to Dr. Z or find, you know, there's so many great, um, resources now to, to go to therapy and 
And I just learned too, I don't know the name of it, but I can find it. There's like on the go text therapy now where you can just text the therapist and they give you kind of like in the moment strategies. I mean, that's super helpful too, because then you don't have to unload, but at the same time, you have somebody who could kind of give you some objective direction. So I'm all for therapy. Um, I've been in therapy. I I mean, everyone I know has been in therapy. I just think it should be just as, as common as going to a primary care doctor. I mean, they're so connected. So what, why not? And I think, you know, between the work that you do and you coming out and, and, you know, sharing your story, it it just helps to break that stigma. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say too, like, you know, I've looked at therapy in the past as like, wow, this is like, you know, an expense and all that stuff. And like, but I will tell you all the times that like, even I was stretching to afford therapy, it was like, for me, I would give up, like I would cut so many other expenses before therapy, because for me, it is like, it's so, so important, especially if you Mm -hmm. are someone that's, that's coming out of a toxic relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. You need that. uh, You need that objectivity to keep pulling you out. Yeah. And I will even say all of my coaching clients, or I'd say 90% of them also go to therapy. It's like, there's, it's just different. Like I can't do what a therapist does. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I can do some stuff that a therapy can't, a therapist can't. Mm So, um, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. This was so great. This is, yeah. And thank you for what you do. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise.